Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. You can be seated as we practice for a moment to center ourselves in the rule of life. We're going to give you a moment for silence and solitude and to come before the Lord and quiet our hearts and invite Him in. So let's exhale all the ruminating, automatic distortions, thoughts that harass us during the week and through the seasons of our lives and lay them before the feet of Jesus. It says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. And inhale the transcending presence of God in his promise that when we supplicate our anxieties to him, that he will provide a garrison, a fortress around our mind and our hearts. Sarah Young, October 16th, Jesus Calling. Look to me continually for help, comfort and companionship, because I am always by your side. The briefest glance can connect you with me. When you look for me for help, it flows freely from my presence. This recognition of your need of me in small matters as well in large ones will keep you spiritually alive. When you need comfort, I love to enfold you in my arms and enable you not to only feel comforted, but also to be a channel through whom I comfort others. Thus, you are doubly blessed because a living channel absorbs some of whatever flows through it. My constant companionship is the peace that resistance, that summit of salvation's blessing. No matter what losses you experience in your life, no one can take this glorious gift. <clears throat> can just someone give me my water from back there uh, when you get a chance? All God's people pray. Amen. So we're back in the simple series, tell someone next to you, simple. The simple series is a series I began a few weeks ago. It's The goal of it is to distill basic Christian vernacular in a way it's traditionally understood here and now today with 2,000 years ago in the first century, how Jesus would have understood words such as discipleship, tithing, uh, calling in today, scriptures, the Bible. Uh, words like this, it's very important to reevaluate because these various ideas we've gleaned through an array of experiences across the years, perhaps most importantly, but have been caught through and absorbed through just simply osmosis being an environment, have in many ways. Uh, influenced us through aberrations, cultural aberrations, and not really what the Bible teaches per se. And so what we call 
uh, here in this series is to close that gap between the aberrations and Jesus's original intent teaching in the text. And what so what we're trying to do is help many not to eyesight Jesus. Tell someone else you eyesight Jesus. And that literally could uh, phonetically sound like I see Jesus. But I see Jesus is literally an exegetical, hermeneutical term for uh, reading into the text of Scripture or the Bible, and not exegesis, which is taking out from the text. And there's this gap between cultures and social economic um, barriers from those times. And so there's this gap, and that is the simple series. So, so let's put this picture up. For example, in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by the prolific author Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn, or Huck, faces a moral dilemma. He runs away from Mississippi, from his family, an alcoholic fa you know, father, and he runs away with a runaway slave named Jim. He realizes and gets caught up uh, between swindlers and con men, causing all kinds of trouble, which leads to his friend Jim being sold back into slavery. And Huck is furious with the con man because, and I quote, Mark Twain says, after we've done for them scoundrels, they could have the heart to sell Jim and make him a slave again all his life. So as Huck ponders his choice, his conscience begins to trouble him again. He cannot help feel guilty for assisting Jim. And he tries to pray for resolution because in the inner consciousness of the southern gentleman or boy in the 1800s, assisting a slave is sin toward damnation. And Huck writes a letter to Miss Watson detailing where Jim is, but then decides to tear it up and sage it. He can, in good conscience, um, give him up into slavery again. And so let's put this quote up, and this is what Mark Twain prolifically writes, which has become a powerful, profound statement in the idea of race relations and justice. And this is what Huck says. I was trembling because I, I got to decide forever betwixt two things, and I know it, I studied a minute, sort of holding my breath, and, and then says to myself, all right, then I'll go to hell and tore it up. What a poignant, powerful conflict in the story. And here is what you need to pay attention to. The genius of Twain here is that he shows us Someone who is a Bible-believing Christian could still find himself in profound cultural captivity to a system that is completely antithetical to the heart of God and the Word of God. Let me say that again. Someone who is a Bible-believing Christian could still find himself in profound cultural captivity to a system that is completely antithetical to the heart of God in himself. You can be a Christian and still be in profound cultural captivity to a demonic system, to an unjust system. 
This series, in the simple series, I'm going to do a three-part series on the Bible made simple. Its formations, its limitations, and its ultimate intention. Next week will be formation. How the Bible was canonized, how the Bible was formed. Today I want to focus on the limitations because I think it's very paramount, very important and critical to understand when the Bible is leveraged to perpetuate greater um, injustice. And some, that's not equitable or perpetuate unjust systems. It what defaces the glory of God. When the Bible is leveraged to perpetuate unjust systems in society, the Bible becomes a curse. So in the sense, Jesus makes it very clear in the New Testament that you have to be keenly aware of what's brooding and growing in your own spirituality because you can have a spirituality without the spirit, which then leads to destruction and peril. So when we come here, the goal of this series then is to what? To fill in the gaps between the juxtaposition of our own aberrations, profound cultural captivity, and Jesus's original intentions, which ultimately will lead to a collision of values. Tell someone next to you, a collision of values. Sometimes, what, then? leading to rebuke and correction, and other times encouragement between how far that gap is between Jesus' intention and our own aberrations. So here it is. Some of us are in profound cultural captivity as a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, without even being aware of it. Racism is one of those things. Other areas of deformation that we might be complicit in and not even be aware. And that's why the Bible is not the end all. So today, let's focus on the limitations. So let's go to the passage. <clears throat> so we come to Matthew here. After Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there. Can you take a man who drinks from a straw seriously? Thank you for softening me up, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we accept, expect someone else? Jesus replied, quoting Isaiah 61, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Again, that motif of come and see or hear. Or as Paul spoke two weeks ago, Shema. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Isaiah 61. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. Question. 
How could someone like John the Baptist, who probably part of the Essenes, who was in solitude in the wilderness, quoted prophetically in Isaiah, being the voice in the wilderness. Or as Jesus later says, he is Elijah, the greatest prophet of all time, manifest in the first century. Almost still missed Jesus after proclaiming him to be the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world, who the scriptures testify and all the prophets testify to for over two millennia from Abraham. Still almost missed Jesus. You have to wonder. Well, it says you can meditate on the scriptures day and night and still miss the point the scriptures are making. If you want to really think about the irony of the historical context as we excavate this text from in the first century is the greatest irony in all of history is that the Jewish community who shemad, who listened, paid attention, obeyed, who meditated on the scriptures day and night were not, did not, not only miss the Messiah that the text was testifying about through the prophets, through Moses, and wore it around their neck, did not only reject Jesus, but they were the ones directly responsible for crucifying him, nailing him on a tree. Limitations of Scripture. Tell someone, you can miss Jesus. You can miss Jesus easily. You can shema all you want. And the people who shema missed it profoundly. And that's the greatest irony in this passage is that the people who read it, meditated on it, prayed the words, of a coming Messiah, who had the laws of God in their heart, not only missed Jesus, they crucified him. The expectations of Jesus was so underwhelming, and the aberrations of who Jesus was, their understanding who Jesus would be, was so different than who he was. They not only missed him, they crucified him. So, there's an elevation of Scripture in the evangelical community. I'm part of it. I'm part of Luzon, which Billy Graham started in 1974. We're doing these, reading the Scriptures all around the world every day, where you read Scripture for 30 minutes together. And it's powerful at times. But there is this aberration of elevating Scripture to the point of it almost being baptizing people in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Bible. Jesus never said baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Bible. This is what Baptists sometimes do. <laughs> but Jesus clearly says in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Did Apostle Paul know that he was going to write 13 chapters or 13 letters in books of the Bible? He did not. When he wrote those letters, he did not know he was writing scripture. It became canonized later, actually in the 4th century, the late 4th century, in the Council of Rome. That's when they canonized the 66 books, which we'll talk about in the next week. You can elevate scripture to the point where it sometimes transcends God. As we see in Huckleberry Finn, the systemic systems that replace God's own values. For example, in the, during the civil rights movement, the evangelical, evangelical community, evangelical community, I was tongue twister, they praise Dr. MLK now, but during his movement, the civil rights movement, the church, 90% of the church was against MLK. Article in the Washington Post just a few years ago, why so many white churches, churches resisted Martin Luther King Jr.'s call to justice. The inequities existed in Jim Crow. For the, for, this was Black Lives Matter before Black Lives Matter. So many times in church history, starting from John the Baptist, you see these aberrations and these influences to systems that's not of God, but that creeps into the church and in Christian belief that must be weeded out. And let me tell you, I know my Baptist brothers. There are many who don't, are not complicit, but many are, even today. So how could someone that have a high view of Scripture be a racist? How can someone who has a high view of Scripture or meditates on day and night completely miss the point of the full grace and truth embodied in Jesus? You could easily. What I've seen in application of those who make the Bible everything, but many times it breeds self-righteousness and not self-examination. The law becomes death to many. The law becomes a way to kill. This is why the Apostle Paul says in the epistle, the letter kills. But what? The Spirit gives life. If you pursue a spirituality without the Spirit, even when you read a Spirit-inspired work, it leads to death and leads to sometimes leveraging systems that are unjust. So, what, 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 are, what is the limitation of the Bible? First, the Bible as an end, the law, breeds what? Piety. But as a means of grace, forms what? Sobriety. Piety is a form of drunkenness of me and my rightness, my entitlement, my judgment of others. Because I do it so well, I pray so well, and I worship so well, you know? And I'm so good. I do this better than you. Tell someone I do this better than you. I make it look better than you too. 
That's definitely true. When the Word of God is used as a weapon, the law, and you go, well, I do the law, I obey the law, I meditate on the law, I know the law of God. I know the heart of doesn't mean you know the heart of God. Those who shema the word knew the law of God but did not know the heart of God. They were so far from the heart of God. And so there's that gap. Clear, apparent gap. The question I have for you is, in this series, is what are some systems that I'm unaware of in my life that's operating, impacting me? That's forming me? And I think that it's the ways of God, but they are not. They're demonic systems. You can be a Christian and be in profound captivity to, to demonic systems. This is the only thing that explains the evangelical community today. There are sincere, and I know them, there are sincere believers that love Jesus, that sing the Sunday school songs, milk, I drink that milk, eat the word. We do that in Sunday school right here, to get stronger. They do it, and they love Jesus. They adopt babies from Africa. I'm telling you, I have friends who adopted five. And then some people talk about, um, with the Black Lives Matter debate, some of my friends are so holy, they don't see color. And sometimes I see the other side as well. They're the ones that are real pro-life. They have 12 kids. Five of them are black. So sometimes media doesn't always paint the whole picture. There are people that actually love God and are formed by God that are actually pro-life and actually not racist and actually loves the neighbor and loves the world like Jesus does. So it's not always black and white. There's nuance to the conversation. So what I'm saying is both sides have complicit, we're complicit unknowingly to systems, demonic systems, unjust systems that creep into our formation that need to be corrected today, amen? And that's what we're doing in this series to help you take those aberrations and allow Jesus to reform them in the image of Jesus and change. What happens though when the churchgoer begins to rattle with those dark powers and starts to obey and see and embrace the heart of God and your heart breaks for the things that breaks God's heart. What happens when you violate demonic systems and call out to injustice or unholiness or darkness? Does it help you escape trouble and you get blessing? This idea of prosperity gospel? Your life is flourishing all the time. There's no trouble. You don't get parking tickets and you get raises and your children are all beautiful and they get into Harvard and Yale, but not Columbia because you're 18, so no, I'm kidding, I'm just kidding, um, I'm kidding, just a little joke, okay, a little joke, <laughs> but, um, but um, no, if you read this text carefully, John Hushamad 
was the embodiment of Shema, who lived it, the congruence of the word, of word and action, who Jesus calls the greatest born of women, the greatest prophet of all time, the goat. Tell someone next to you, the goat. Drop the mic. Even Stephen A. Smith has nothing to say about this one. John the Baptist, Jesus says, is the goat, even though he doubted. John preached to Herod about his inequities, about his sin, taking another man's wife, adultery. He lived the righteousness of a scripture. There was a congruence and there was authority as a result, but it didn't shield him from trouble. There's this American aberrations like eat an apple a day and that keeps the doctor away. Some people in America think, well, if I read the chapter of the Bible a day, it'll keep the devil away. It's cute, but not true. If you engage in scripture and live out and really Shema, and you dare to tackle the unjust demonic systems within you and society, and you push the darkness, the darkness will push back. When you, the Bible says very, when you enter into the kingdom of God and you violate the ruler of this world and dark powers of this world, the Bible won't shield you from trouble. It will hasten it. Look, look what happens to John. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, why did you go see him? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then why did you go out and see a prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there not, has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And I'll go into that a little more after. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom, of ha the kingdom has been subject to violence, and the violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, if he is, he is the Elijah who was to come, whoever has ears, let them hear. Again, the idea of Shema, come and see. Those who lived in complete congruence of the word of God and in their life, First, John the Baptist faced in doubting Jesus in prison in darkness. You see clinical depression. You see a darkness come over John and clouds his judgment. Who else is described here? Elijah. And it's not a coincidence that Matthew correlates John the Baptist with Elijah because Elijah too in Mount Carmel, proclaim God's power by fire to the prophets of Baal and the heresy happening in Israel to Jezebel. 
the demonic personification of Satan in the Old Testament. And after the greatest spiritual victory in Elijah's life, not like John, he doesn't find himself in depression and darkness. Elijah finds himself with suicide ideation. Before there's mental health, you see this man, the second greatest prophet of all time, maybe, struggle with, I'm the only prophet, kill me, God. He's talking suicide ideation. Something happened in that mountain that made him so feel so much despair that he wanted to die. So what lesson do you learn from this text? Well, this is a good example. There is this whole big thing in the Oscars about what is now infamously known as the slap. Let's put it up. And Denzel Washington in the backstage at the Oscars is counseling Will Smith. And, and Denzel Washington, I can tell you, is a believer for real. Being mentored by Eric Bernard at uh, CCC, Christian Culture Center. And this is what Denzel said. In your highest moments, be careful. That's when what? The devil comes for you. In your highest moments, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. That happened to John the Baptist. When he proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah and ended his, in, in, ended his ministry and the inauguration of the kingdom of God was fulfilled in the Messiah. That's when he went to prison. And he began to experience bouts of great depression. Elijah when he defeated Jezebel by fire, and God sent fire from heaven, breaking the altars of Baal, he experienced suicide at each. In your greatest spiritual breakthrough, you experience the greatest demonic resistance. Tell someone next to you, be careful. Tell someone next to you, beware. My wife, she has the gift of miracles. What I mean by that is, I don't know how she gets people through to them. I talk to people and they go, I don't understand. Okay, bye, I leave. I get frustrated. What do you mean you don't understand? But my wife, for whatever reason, when she talks to people, she knows what to say. I have no idea what to say. I'm always speechless and just, Resort to, are you stupid? It's not anointed at all. But for some reason, my wife, people, when she does ministry and talks to people one-on-one or in groups, she could get through to them. And God gives her the words. And spiritual breakthrough takes place. These people are the most dense. Tell someone, really dense. Like me, I have a hard time through the density, getting through the density. I'm just like, I just want to punch them. But like a skilled surgeon, the Holy Spirit gives her the word and weaves it out, you know. People come to Christ, people repent, people are crying. Revival happens. It could be at a hotel lounge or a cafe, you know, it could, it could be in the car. And then after spiritual breakthrough, she comes, she goes, I don't know if I should have said those things. 
a dark cloud comes over her. Like, what are you talking about? It's a miracle, is it? For those of you who are experiencing spiritual breakthrough in your life, you're going to face resistance. If you don't know that, you're going to get buried. And the Word of God and reading it is not going to help you overcome that darkness because darkness will come. Jesus says in this life, you will what? You will have trouble. But do not be what? Of heavier heart, for I have overcome the world. In Christ you can overcome, but you will have to endure depression and darkness. Because the enemy will not allow you to come into his territory and push and challenge principalities and systems of injustice and sin that he has entrenched himself for millennia and let you just get away with it. When you push the darkness, it will push back. Be ready. Be prepared. In my own life, I experienced this at, at 18 at a retreat right before college there was a demonic possession that took place. And the youth pastor there told me, I'm gonna run, Sam. <laughs> it's like, but you're, you're the pastor. Yeah, but I'm not equipped to deal with this. But you went to seminary. They did not teach this in seminary. So what do you want me to do about it? I don't know, can you pray or something in the other room? I don't know what to do. I'm gonna just hide behind you. I'm like, wow, this is not a good start to this, right? God's power is moving. People are coming to Christ. Now there's a demon pest. The pastor's scared. And I remember going to a room to pray. And it was like the exorcist movie or the conjuring because I went into that room and it became like Alaska freezing. And I don't like the cold folks. I like tropical weather. And I was praying and my, I could see my breath. I was praying in tongues and I could see tongues of fire. You know what I'm saying? I could see smoke. I could see steam coming. And, and, and I'm praying and, and it suddenly it feels creepy and like dark and it's red. And, and, you know. and at that moment, I didn't hear it audibly, but I heard it in my mind, a suggestion. If you leave now and forget this stuff, you can go get some Chinese food and watch Independence Day. <laughs> Why? You as a teenager used the best days of your life here. <laughs> On the floor. This is really making a lot of sense. And it was a choice. If you stop entering my territory, I'll leave you alone. But for whatever reason, the next thing is a bat flew in the room. You're like, you're alive. No! A I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm getting out of here. No, no, when the bat came, I knew that this is part of the spiritual reality of spiritual breakthrough. So, folks, if you're discouraged today, people you're witnessing to, your parents, your family, your friends, and barriers and resistance and darkness comes over you. You're discouraged, you're depressed. You're like, why the hell am I doing this? Let me go to brunch. Good. 
discouragement, depression, suicide, all that stuff is good stuff. It's proof that you're pushing back to darkness and darkness is pushing back. Endure it. In this, Jesus doesn't promise relief or circumstances away from this tribulation, but he promises to help you get through it so the light could come into darkness. Amen? So, lastly, second lesson in limitations of Scripture is that the Bible is not a silver bullet against an onslaught of demonic resistance even when one obeys the word. Actually, it hastens it many times. Trouble is hastened by obedience. Trouble is hastens. Demonic resistance is increases when we obey, when we proclaim and challenge the principalities and the demonic systems that's keeping people captive, whether from sin, unjust systems, or away from salvation and the gospel. And so as we close today, my question to you is, are you, have you been discouraged and feeling like you want to give up and just become, you know, like live a muggle life? You know, get some coffee at church, be a churchgoer. Okay, let me lift my hands here. But not really engage the principalities or mission. Because the enemy will prefer that. Much prefer churchgoer, good Christian that really doesn't do any work in the kingdom. But I like to say, don't be discouraged. Persist. Challenge the systems. And as Huck said, he said, well, I go to hell. Sometimes what I say is, hell with me. I'm just going to pray for darkness to break. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we want to come before you today. We pray that you help us surrender. Correct us, rebuke us, help us out of the dark systems of our life or where we're complicit and help us in Jesus' name turn to you. I'm going to give you the benediction because talking hot dogs are Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. 
If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully, which you can do using Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service, and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG, where you can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. Amen. Next, there are devotionals on sale at the 180 Cafe. They're great to help you get in the habit of praying and connecting with God every day. Sometimes I find it hard to find, form the words to pray, but these devotionals have been so helpful and inspirational. They're available at the 180 Cafe and it's an honor system. So you can purchase them via Venmo or QuickPay. Speaking of prayers, we have our prayer hotline. We invite you to use this resource to ask for prayer for anything or anyone in your life and it's completely confidential. You can text 5397PRAYER or email prayer at 180church.tv and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Prayers are so powerful and I can't tell you how many times my prayers were heard and answered. So I want to encourage you to get out there and pray and ask for prayer for where two or three are gathered in his name, God is with them. Yes. So let's talk about social media. There, these are the ways you can stay connected with us throughout the week. We have several media outlets from Facebook to Instagram to Dr. Sammy's Twitter page and even our YouTube page. We are very active on social media and there are multiple ways to share the message with your friends and family and also stay connected in the community. Let's not forget about our YouTube live stream. We know that things pop up and it's not always possible to physically attend Sunday service, but not to worry because Sunday service is being live streamed weekly on YouTube, so you never have to miss another service. So say hello to the YouTube viewers. Hello. And it's also a great way to share the gospel with friends and family. Next up is small groups. Small groups are a great way to process what you heard on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone and small groups have been an amazing way to know that we are in this together. It's also a great way to um, get to know each other, grow deeper in, with, in relationship with each other and reflect and apply sermons to our daily lives. And honestly, it's so much fun. I look forward to it every week to meet with the group and you know, we just have fun doing life together. So that's great. Um, adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. College Fellowship meets on Mondays at 7.30. And if you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Now, this is the exciting one. Are you, are you guys ready? Okay, I, I want to introduce 180 merch, okay? I know, you've been all waiting for this. It's not exclusive anymore. You can purchase your 180 merch at the 180 Cafe. There's a variety of tops in different fabulous colors, all donning the stylish 180 um, emblem and other cool designs. Like some of them have like cool designs on the back. Not mine, but others. Um, so you can get one of those. Uh, after service, you can head straight to the 180 Cafe to purchase your new 180 shirt, hoodie, or sweatshirt and they can be purchased with the same honor system as the devotionals. If you have any questions, you can speak to our merch designer, Andy, wherever he is. Oh, he's in the back, there he is. 
um, and he can help you. And I can't wait to twin with all of you once you purchase your merch. Okay, next we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be on May 15th at 12.30 p.m. We will be meeting at the East Pintum in Central Park. So be on the lookout for an email to RSVP. Let's pray for beautiful May weather and an awesome time of fellowship. Also, let's start thinking about the people in our lives who we can invite and share the good news with. Uh, now, for those of you with the heart to serve or feel like you're being led to serve, we have children's ministry. We need volunteers to serve, love, and teach our church's youngest members. They are really doing meaningful and soul-filling work there. My children are learning that they are God's treasures like I told you last time. And also my daughter always gets super excited for Sunday school. She says, oh, she loves Sunday school. So they're having a good time there. Um, they're building relationships and growing up in this community feeling loved and known. And that's really special. So if you want to be friends with our community's littlest members and be loved by me and other parents, go see Michelle Kim or Pastor Lydia for more details. Next, we have cafe volunteers. Coffee brings me so much joy, and I know it brings you guys joy too. So you can share some joy by serving up a cup of coffee before service. No barista skills are required. So if you wanna serve or impress people with your latte art, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, we have greeting volunteers. Who doesn't love a friendly face when they walk in? I know everybody does. And if you want to be that friendly face that brings smiles and makes people feel welcomed, this is for you. If you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. Now, those are all of our announcements we have today.